Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, here we go. In three, two, one. I'm Fritz Kagey, and this is John. John treats all his customers the same. That's not how the assessor used to work. Corrupt politicians shifted the tax burden away from wealthy downtown landlords onto middle-class families, drenching you. Okay, that sounded disgusting. How's it going, everybody? Uh, drenching you. More of That's a, actually a, a very evocative line, drenching you. Yeah, more of a visual ad, too, really. Yeah, you really got to see the hot dog. And it totally like worked the wrong way because maybe want to eat the hot dog. And I think he was trying to go with the hot dog is now disgusting, which says a lot about me. I think I'm just saying, Dave, throwing mm-hmm. that out there. Hey, your Ben Jarofsky show for <laughs> Tuesday, May 10th is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to sm- what kind of what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V as in victory. S-K-Y. We've got a great show today, but before we get going, I have to remind you, did you know that Illinois has an average monthly revenue of over $100 million from recreational cannabis sales? As of 2022, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. The Windy City is the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention. It's June 10th through 11th, and it's brought to you by NECAN. The convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult use recreational market. The convention will showcase more than 100 companies, brands, and product lines. There's also four, count them four, one, two, three, four, full programming tracks running each day for medical, business, cultivation, and social justice featuring dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com slash Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N.com slash Illinois for information and to register. It is Tuesday, May 10th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. the program alderman carlos ramirez rosa and a city council synopsis with our dear friend dave glowatz and now your host chicago reader columnist ben jarofsky hello everybody ben jarofsky here we're calling this ward map deal tuesday and here's why because apparently they cut a deal on the ward map breaking news these <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's why I reached out to Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Here's how it happened, folks. I got a text from Carlos Ramirez, Ramirez Rosa, the alderman of the 35th Ward, uh, frequent guest in this show. Uh, he was responding to, I had just sent him a link to the uh, first Tuesday show we did last week. An excellent first Tuesday show, if I must say so myself, where the alderman, uh, sort of an aldermanic debate on the ward maps between uh, Roderick Sawyer of the 6th Ward, maybe one day our, our next mayor, who knows, he may run, uh, and uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Uh, I urge everybody to check out the interview. It was fascinating. They were quick on their feet, counter punches, each one defending as best he could uh, the ward map that he is supported. So I sent the link out, and then Carlos responded uh, with a link that said they look they apparently cut a deal. Come on the show today and explain it all, man. So uh, that caught me off guard because I mean, well, first of all, uh, <laughs> uh, I was at bowling, you know. So kind of gets you know how you like your. I don't know if this is this way. By the way, we sent a link out uh, to Carlos. He's he hasn't accepted it yet. He says he can't find it. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so. I don't know how this works for you folks, but if you're like doing, you know, that old thing when you would see your teacher at the grocery store and you just couldn't quite process that because you were so used to seeing the teacher in one setting only, and that is the classroom. Um, so for me, when I'm bowling, it's like, that's my little world, my little universe. Uh, and uh, so to get a, out of nowhere, a text talking about, cutting deals in the city of Chicago it caught me off guard particularly I was trying to focus I just want to mention this ladies and gentlemen not going on too much of a tangent here I think we should play the tap song da, da, da. yes my bowling team <laughs> was defeated last night D in the play we made the playoffs but we were ousted in the playoffs so a uh, rough night for the bowling team can I just say uh we lost. Yes. We, we were we were trying to defend our championship. Carlos has joined us. Carlos has joined us. We were trying to defend our championship and we were unsuccessful. So shout out to my dear friends, uh, Cap, Norm, uh, Tony with a T and Timmy. Next year, gentlemen, next year. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on uh, the aforementioned Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who interrupted my bowling last night with that text alerting me to the fact that breaking news, a deal had been reached. <laughs> That's breaking news. <laughs> uh, so, Carlos, I was uh, saying that we had just finished what I thought was one of our best first Tuesdays. Maya and I, we afterwards were just like, oh, my great first great debate it's the fourth foe we put on stage and i put foe in quotes uh for carlos to go at it with and i gotta tell you folks carlos i always say is was like all state or something debater or whitney young whatever he's great. <laughs> rod sawyer that guy is uh, you know carlos you got i think you gotta be uh, gracious and say that guy uh can throw a counter punch he's quick on his feet on a debate i would say of the four that you debated He's right. Well, I don't want to look like I'm disparaging anyone, so let me just back away from that. Uh, but he did a great job, I thought, uh, with his position. But things have changed, Carlos. So you announce the change. Go ahead. Well, uh, members of the Progressive Caucus have come together, um, and with some key changes being made to the southwest side, uh, some portions of the south side and the far south side, uh, and the Northwest side, uh, there is now a compromise uh, that has 
uh, well over 41 votes. Um, I think only a handful of aldermen will likely be voting against it, including uh, Alderman Lopez, uh, Anthony Beal, and Alderman Burke. Um, so that's where we're at. We are at a map uh, that is going to pass the Rules Committee and is going to uh, pass the Chicago City Council uh, and avert a referendum showdown. All right. Now, my understanding, uh, and I'm uh, it was Dave Glowatz who told us to me, so I'm just I'm not this smart all the time. Uh, is that there has to be a meeting called this month to approve the map? Has that meeting been called and scheduled? Uh, so as of yet, I have not seen a notice go out, but I think that the notice uh, will be eminent. Um, you know, Chairwoman Harris of the Rules Committee did announce that there was a compromise, uh, that the votes were there. And so it's just a matter of time now before uh, a special meeting is called. It's just a matter of scheduling. All right. So uh, a week ago, uh, when you were on the stage at the hideout with uh, Alderman Sawyer, uh, it didn't there was no like strong evidence, let's put it that way, from the things that you said uh, that a compromise was on the horizon. Both of you indicated that there could be a compromise, talks were going on, that kind of thing. But each of you were uh, strongly defending the map that you were assigned to in anticipation of a referendum. In fact, if you listen to the uh, the uh, the tape or the recording of the evening, I think Meyer, I asked you point blank, what would you say to voters as to why they should vote for your map? So what change what what got this uh map suddenly acceptable uh to enough uh, aldermen uh to give it the 41 it needed yeah well you know going from 15 backers of the people's coalition map to 41 backers which is what's needed uh in order to pass a map that was always going to be a difficult uh uh, task uh, to go from 15 backers to 41 backers. Uh, a majority of the Progressive Caucus did not support the People's Coalition map. Um, so from the get-go, we were at a severe disadvantage in terms of moving forward uh, what we were seeking to accomplish. Um, but I think that the biggest thing that changed was um, Monday, uh, I received a text message from Chairman Gil Villegas, and he said, we got to go into the map room. The time is now to compromise. Uh, and he gave me a call and basically he said, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. We need to compromise now. Uh, and I said, oh, wow, this seems really, really bad. Um, and then I find, find out that he had gone into the map room without members of the coalition trying to find an exit plan. Um, and seemingly what happened is um, he is running for Congress in the new third congressional district. So it's a new congressional district uh, that is majority Latino. It's going to elect uh, a Latino to Congress. Um, and the moment he started running for Congress, that was really the moment that we lost our quarterback in the referendum fight. Um, but hindsight's twenty twenty. I realize that now. But uh, he got a phone call. Uh, prior to last week, Monday, uh, we're basically backers of the uh, Rules Committee map uh, called the Chicago United map told him we're going to spend lots of money in support of the Chicago United map and we are going to go negative against you in the mailbox. And weeks ago, they had actually released mock-ups of uh, the negative mailers they were going to send. One was tying Gil Villegas to corruption in relation to the map uh, that he had helped craft the People's Coalition map. The second one was uh, basically calling Gil a misogynist and calling him racist and sexist uh, for fighting with Michelle Harris. So that was just a taste, right? They're saying, hey, Gil, if you don't stop this fight, we're going to send these negative mailers against you. They leaked those to Capital Facts, which if anyone knows, you know, Capital Facts is, is always getting the inside scoop. 
Um, and so now, a few weeks later, Gil is now getting a call from people with a lot of money saying, those negative mailers that you saw, they're going to go in the mailbox. And not only are they going to go in the mailbox, but you're going to feel a world of pain as we go negative on you on this map. And I think that's really what precipitated him running into the map room, keeping members of the coalition in the dark, and deciding that, that basically he needed an exit plan, that he needed to save himself, that it was more important to him to not have those negative mailers go out uh, in his congressional race, and it was more important for him. So he signaled to us on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week that we absolutely need to compromise. He told us multiple times, uh, now's the time to compromise. We have no other choice. And I said, Gil, you're going to accept a war that takes you all the way east? And he said, Carlos, we have no choice. Uh, we have to be realistic. And I told him, I said, Gil, I go, I'm going to be honest with you. I think you got a call. I think you got threatened with these mailers. And, uh, and you folded. It's more important for you to, to have an easier path to Congress than it is for you to win 15 Latino awards because uh, he was ready to compromise this week for 14 Latino awards. Uh, and he goes, no, 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 we just, we got to be realistic. We got to be realistic. So that's what, what we did is, you know, it's, it's really difficult uh, once you lose your captain, once your captain jumps ship. Um, so we tried to make the best of, of a difficult situation. And I'll say that, you know, it's not what we had hoped for, um, but communities that are fighting displacement and gentrification on the Northwest side, like Logan Square or most in Albany Park, they have made, made whole, they have been kept together. Uh, you know, Pilsen is gonna go from 44% Latino to over 70% Latino. The 14th Ward, the home of Ed Burke, is gonna have a Latino ward uh, for the first time in decades, in half a century. So I got to tell you, it's not everything we had hoped for, but it's much better uh, than what we would have gotten otherwise. Uh, and really what precipitated us getting here was, you know, Gil Viegas was the first domino to fall. I thought Felix Cordova was the first domino to fall. Publicly. publicly. Yeah. No, Felix, publicly, Felix saw yeah. the writing on the wall. Once your quarterback is coming yeah. to you and saying, it's time to throw in the flag, we've lost guys. I mean, it becomes that much easier for Felix to say, all right, I'm out. Uh <laughs> And uh, so one of the pressing concerns that uh, folks had at the hideout uh, and that people have relayed to me uh, in general is how the map affects, how do I put this, uh, progressive, I guess I'll use the word progressive. I like to use the word lefty, but I'm pretty much the only one who likes to call us ourselves lefty. So we'll just go with progressive. Uh, the future of progressive politics. And I was always concerned, uh, and Carlos, and you know what I'm about to say, I was always concerned uh, that um, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez would be uh, wiped away because she had been so outspoken in her opinion about funding the police. And uh, that is a very easy position she has to run against her, to put it mildly. So she was always sort of in jeopardy uh, for taking a, uh, a unpopular or controversial stance, if you will. It's very popular with a, a relatively small group of lefty voters, but not popular citywide. Uh, and I just felt that was really unfair um, to go after her on that point. So how does it affect, in your humble opinion, the future of progressive politics? Uh, are the progressive aldermen uh, in winnable positions now? Uh, any like the great Jeanette Taylor and uh, Roseanne, I mentioned her. Uh, you had already said at the hideout that you felt confident you could win under either map. Uh, so in general, for the future of his, uh, progressive politics in Chicago, uh, how does this compromise map uh, affect progressives? 
You know, I, I think that um, to my colleagues' credit, every time that I spoke with my colleague to the north of me, Alderman Rodriguez, every time uh, I spoke to my colleague to the southeast of me, Daniel Mospada, what they always talked about is how do we draw a map that keeps communities together? How do we draw a map that advances the community organizing, the community development work that they and their communities have been spearheading hand in hand? Um, and so what was really important to Alderwoman Rodriguez uh, and what was, was really important to myself and the Latino caucus as a whole was uniting the majority Latino community of Albany Park in one ward. This map gets the 33rd ward over 50% Latino. So it is a Latino majority ward where a Latino or Latina can win. Uh, and it's, it's bringing Albany Park together mostly in one ward for the first time in decades. So before Albany Park would be split between three wards, two wards. Now Albany Park, the bulk of it is in one ward, the 33rd ward, and that's where Rosanna lives. That's where Rosanna organizes. I mean, the, the 33rd ward is a ward that a progressive Latina, Latino that's working in the community of Albany Park uh, will win. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that um, similarly in, in Logan Square, uh, you know, if you look at the first ward, um, you know, the eastern part of Logan Square, which is a very progressive part of the city, the bulk of that is now in the first ward. So I think that it's a map that unites communities in a way that facilitates grassroots organizing. Now, does it help my colleagues? Absolutely, it does. Um, but that's because they're fighting hand in hand with the people in those communities. That's because they've been champions for the residents of those communities to move forward a progressive agenda uh, that is in the best interest of those neighborhoods. So uh, under a subset of progressives are democratic socialists. So folks, uh, so we may have the leftiest lefties uh, elected officials in the country. Uh, I brag about that. Not a lot of people would brag about that. <laughs> we, uh, I got to tell you, I, we yeah. don't. We don't. There are people in New York, in Seattle, in San Francisco that don't even call themselves democratic socialists, and they take a more left position than we do in the Chicago City Council. And I got to tell you why. It's because in the Democratic Socialists of America, Michael Harrington, who was one of the principal founders, he spoke about the necessity of being the left wing of the possible right, of making sure that you're moving the Democratic Party to the left. So in Chicago, in our city council, we have a very conservative makeup. And so we, we stake out positions that are in the, to the left of the city council that move the conversation to the left, but that we also know are within the realm of possibility and that are going to be things that we can win either now or in a few years with the right organizing uh, campaign and organizing work, uh, matching the work that we're doing in the city council. So I just want to make that clear. If you look at the actual positions that we've taken, there are people in New York that are to the left of us. There are people in Seattle that are elected in office to the left of us and they don't even call themselves democratic socialists that's fair enough and that's actually i just uh, want to be honest i gotta no. be honest with ben jarofsky on the jarofsky show <laughs> I, that's actually a very fair assessment and i may have to steal that line maybe give you credit left wing of possible that's a great line the left wing of the possible michael harrington chicago democratic yeah. Socialist. all right so um having said that uh how are the democratic socialists voting on this uh, in this a lot of people uh, carlos i said this at the hideout and i'll repeat it you know this is true a lot of people are not going to take the time take a deep dive and how it impacts a war that's nowhere near theirs basically they want they're going to be like okay is my favorite alderman for the map 
So I know, like, for instance, a lot of people love Matt Martin. They go, like, is Matt Martin for this map? If Matt Martin's not for this map, I'm not for the map. That's kind of like an easy <laughs> way of doing it. Is, is Carlos for the map? I go, is JT for the map? So how are the members of your uh, Democratic Socialists uh, voting on this? Uh, are they with you? Are all of them with you on this map deal? Well, I think that the press has publicly reported who the expected no votes are. Um, and they're not progressives. Um, I will say that, you know, Jeanette Taylor was for the rules committee map, uh, from day one, uh, Matt Martin, Maria Haddon, uh, you know, uh, members of United working families, progressive aldermen, members of the progressive caucus. They have been for the rules committee map. Oh, sorry. I got a call that uh, popped in there, but you know, a lot of progressives have been for the rules committee map from day one. Uh, a lot of them told us, look, we're just waiting for you all. Figure, figure something out that, that doesn't slice and dice your communities. Uh, and, and we're ready to, you know, to, to vote for compromise uh, alongside you all. Um, and, um, and so um, I can't speak for anyone, but at this moment in time, my understanding is, is that every member of the Progressive Caucus is prepared to vote for this compromise. Okay. Um, uh, every member of the Progressive Caucus. So that's are all the Democrats. Every member of the Socialist Caucus is a member of the Progressive Caucus. There you go. Okay. <laughs> uh, going back to my days of geography, uh, I mean, uh, geometry to see uh, how that works. All right. Uh, so let's get into the issue of 15 versus 14 majority Hispanic uh, wards. Uh, I forget which alderman was crying betrayal. And I. Uh, I wish I could just remember the name of the alderman. and I apologize. It's, it's, it's Gil Villegas. His, and his I think that's why I was really incensed and said, I got to, you know, talk to Ben and, and, you know, talk to folks and get the word out there because Gil was the first one. I got the text messages. Gil was the first one to text and say, now's the time to compromise. Now's the time to throw in, in the, the, the towel. And he proposed a compromise earlier this week that only had 14 Latino wards. So this was our captain of the ship. This was our fearless leader who said he was going to take us to 15 Latino wards. Earlier this week, he signaled to all of us and told us, the time is now to land the plane. We have to accept the reality of where we're at. And I'm telling you, the only thing that changed from, you know, two weeks ago to a week ago was that he got a phone call that from folks with a lot of campaign cash that said, we're going to go negative on you in the mailbox. Mm -hmm. And those negative mailers, you saw in Capital Facts, uh, where, you know, you are being called a misogynist, where you're being called a racist, where you're being called corrupt. Those are going to go in the mailbox and your path to Congress is going to get a lot harder. Okay. Um, so that's why I'm kind of upset that now Gil wants to, you know, he wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wanted an out. He didn't want those negative mailers to, to go out against him in the third congressional district. Um, but now he wants to claim that he was this leader that, you know, is going to keep fighting until the very end. Um, he was the first one to tell us the time to compromise is now. Uh, and he did it so that he would have an easier path getting to Congress. And, and I like to point something out that uh, I don't know if we discussed at the hideout on Tuesday, but I've had this exchange many times with guests on the show. Uh, if you have a quote unquote majority uh, Hispanic ward or majority black ward, that does not guarantee that the older person who is elected will either be Hispanic or black by, I mean, people are free to vote for whoever they want. Uh, I contend that uh, the um, the Democratic Socialists who are Hispanic could probably get elected uh, in a majority white uh, ward filled with lefties or with 
a large number of lefties. Same thing with uh, a black alderman, et cetera, and so forth. So it, it, it kind of gets distorted a little bit when you, and v- conversely, very easily possible that Marty Quinn and the 13th ward uh, could get elected or even Ed Burke could get elected in a ward where there's a majority of Hispanics. We saw that on the border. Uh, the Democrats are still afraid. We don't talk about this, uh, Carlos, when you're on the show, because you talk local, but Democrats in Texas are really concerned about losing uh, the Mexican-American vote in Southern Texas to Trump, which is just astounding. So in other words, this notion that all Hispanics are going to vote for an Hispanic or they're all going to vote for a Carlos Ramirez Rosa is <laughs> not a reality. Please address that. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, no voting group is a monolith. Um, as we saw with, uh, you know, presidential elections, yes, there is a Latino vote. But if you look at how Cuban-Americans vote, if you look at the way that Dominican-Americans vote, if you look at the way Mexican-Americans, if you look at regions, right, in the Southwest, you know, in Texas, Mexican-Americans might vote differently than Mexican-Americans in Chicagoland. So, um, you know, yeah, there are some broad strokes that you can paint with. Uh, By and large, Latinos are going to vote Democratic. Um, But at the same time, politics is impacted by a lot of different local variables. Um, And, you know, I I think that... um, there is some research that shows as of late that in the past there was this prevailing sentiment that a ward had to be 60, 65% Latino in order to ensure that a Latino is elected. There is some data that particularly in the context of the Northwest side, uh, there is some experts that have looked at this matter and said, actually you can have a ward that's 50% Latino, that's 51% Latino, 55% Latino, and it will still elect a Latino. That was certainly the case with older woman, uh, Rosana Rodriguez, when she defeated the Mel machine in the 33rd ward. Um, and despite the fact that other Latinos had tried in the past to beat the Mel's when it was a much higher Latino district, you know, they had not been, uh, successful. So, um, you know, again, I, I think that my main takeaway from this process is that the city of Chicago as a whole needs some laws set by the state that change the way that the city map is drawn. Um, but given the current situation, given the current laws, given the current makeup of the city council, it was always going to be a difficult task to get to 15 to 41. And the moment that our quarterback came to us and said, it's time to throw in the towel, I mean, that was it. That, that was the first domino to fall that precipitated uh, where we ended up at. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think, again, like I said, hindsight is twenty twenty. Like, I now realize that when Gill announced his run for Congress, that's the moment I should have realized, hey, you all, that's his top concern now. It's no longer this referendum. It's no longer this fight. Um, some of us should have stepped up and said, we're going to fill that void. Um, unfortunately that didn't happen. And when Gil had a million dollar gun pointed to his head where they said, we're going to go negative on you in the mailbox. What's more important to you, this referendum fight or your congressional race. He said my congressional race. And he came running into the map room, flailing about ready to just try and find an exit plan, uh, to save himself and save his path to Congress. And, and I have to point out that, uh, Alderman Viegas is running, uh, against, uh, Delia Ramirez, state representative Delia Ramirez, uh, who was on the show last week, I might add, uh, talking about abortion rights. I urge everybody to check out that interview. Uh, and I believe Carlos, you've endorsed Delia Ramirez. Am I correct? In that? I have endorsed Delia Ramirez, but I will say that that did not impact my work 
on the People's Coalition map with Gil. Because I said, that's one thing, is that congressional race, and it's an entirely another thing to engage in this fight to get the fairest maps possible that we can for the city of Chicago. Um, but I'm angry right now because now Gil's trying to have his cake and eat it too. He told me, he said, I'm gonna have to accept a map that takes the 36th ward all the way east. I have no other choice. But now that that's actually happened, now he's, you know, trying to play, you know, the, the wounded victim or I don't know, the hero or something. And it's just like, Gil, be honest with the public. Stop misinforming the public. The reality is, is that you uh, wanted to save yourself and save your path to Congress. And that's why you were willing to go into that map room by yourself. He went into that map room without telling me, without telling Rosanna, without telling Daniel, without telling key members of his coalition. He went in there and was ready uh, to throw our communities under the bus so that he could have an easier time getting to Congress. All right. I just want to point out that during the uh, first Tuesday show last week, I asked uh, Carlos and Rod the same question, which is, are they confident that they could be victorious under both maps? So in other words, what, what, is this about preserving your own incumbency? And each of them assured me without any hesitation. In fact, Carlos scoffed at the question. Uh, and uh, that, uh, yes, they would prevail. That's So that's, so folks, if you're wondering that question, uh, it was, has already been asked. I'm going to make you listen to their answers by going to this show. All right. Uh, I'm going to depart for a moment from board maps. I, Sure. You've mentioned Vallegas. You've mentioned uh, we've. I mentioned Delia Ramirez. I've got to ask you, uh, Luis Gutierrez, who was a hero of yours way back when. You once worked for him as a volunteer, I believe, uh, way back when. Has weighed in on behalf of um, Gil Vallegas. Now, I'm going to say this, folks. Luis Gutierrez, former congressman, former alderman, has an absolute right to endorse anybody he wants for any reason. So I'm not hating on him because he endorsed Gil Vallegas. I got to put that out there right now. But what I did find a little curious uh, was the rhetoric he employed when doing so. Uh, effectively, it looked like he was doing a little red baiting there, Luis Gutierrez. And I've known you for a long time, Louis. I knew you when you were a cab driver <laughs> back in 1981 before you even ran for office. Uh, and you were a radical. You were to the left of me. And red baiting on the issue of uh, defund the police, saying that uh, he doesn't want to send another defunder to Congress. I've never heard Delia Ramirez use the phrase uh, defund the police. I'm sure she has some supporters who've used that phrase, uh, but it's um, it's quite a stretch to say uh, she uh, supports the phrase defund the police. Uh, and it's, uh, to me, sounds like classic red baiting. Uh, your thoughts about your uh, uh, Luis Gutierrez and his comments. I know Luis Gutierrez, uh, masterclass, wonderful. I mean, he he knows. Oh, I, I keep getting a call. Um, so Gutierrez really knows how to... Um, spin a phrase. I mean, I used to work for that man for close to three years and I would just be in awe sometimes. I was like, wow, this man is an entertainer. This man is, you know, he's an actor. He has a turn of phrase. Um, but he can also be uh, very duplicitous. I mean, <laughs> if you go back and you look at the history of what he has done, uh, you know, he sold out the Harold Washington uh, a coalition 
in order to uh, get uh, more power in the city council and, and, you know, make an alliance with uh, the Daily Machine. Uh, and in exchange, he got to go to Congress. And for many, many years, the numbers were there to create a second Latino congressional district. But Louis blocked it because, one, he wanted to be the only congressman from the Midwest that was Latino. Uh, two, because he was more popular on the southwest side with the Mexican-American population than he was on the northwest side. So if they split those areas in two, he would have to pick where he was going to run. And so he would always block and say, no, nope, we don't need a second congressional uh, Latino district. And it was only until he left office and we got Congressman Chuy Garcia that we finally got the second Latino congressional district that we should have gotten. So the rumor for months has been uh, that Congressman Gutierrez has cut a deal with Gil Villegas that should Gil Villegas make his way to Congress, that Gil will support Jessica Gutierrez, Louis' daughter, for 36 ward aldermen. And surprise, surprise, the same week Gil Villegas tells us, run into the bathroom, cut a deal now, and, and is ready for us to sign off on a deal that's going to put Jessica Gutierrez in the 36th ward the same exact week, the same exact day a compromise is announced, boom. There's Congressman Gutierrez endorsing Gil Villegas. So, you know, I, I, I just, he's looking, Louis looking for whatever rhetoric he can use to justify the cynical move that he's done. Uh, and so he's going to stretch. And so he's calling the uh, work, United Working Families Party, made of progressive labor unions, made of, of independent political organizations. He's calling it the new machine, the new HCO. <laughs> It's just totally preposterous. It's totally nonsense. It, it's not, it doesn't even deserve a response to think that grassroots activists that have been fighting the machine, that have been beating the machine, folks like Will Gazzardi, who's a UWF member, who defeated uh, you know, uh, Joe Berrios' daughter. He's a member of this new machine. Uh, you know, Grassroots activists that have spent their years knocking doors uh, to defeat HCO candidates. They're the members of the new machine. That's just Louis being Louis. Uh, and uh, it, it's pretty ridiculous to see the quotes that came out of him yesterday. But the rumor that I've heard, which I think is very true, uh, is that what in fact has occurred is that um, Jessica Gutierrez will now be in the 36th Ward. And so in exchange for uh, former Congressman Gutierrez's support, if Gill makes it to Congress, he will support Jessica Gutierrez in the 36th Ward. You know what I can't remember? And uh, Dave Kovacs has joined us. We're going to bring him on, ladies and gentlemen. We'll close with this. I can't remember. I wish I could, Carlos. Uh, Jessica Gutierrez, who is uh, former Congressman Gutierrez's daughter, ran for alderman in the last go-around against Aero Arbroyas. Uh, and I believe she lost in the runoff. That's my memory. But she lost. She did. Okay. I'm pretty sure United Working Families endorsed her in that race. Uh, I, I, I don't remember if United Working Families endorsed her. As a matter of fact, I think they did not, ah, uh, which could be part of the problem as well. <laughs> but you know what's crazy is that Delia Ramirez, who's now running for Congress, who is the progressive running for Congress with the support of the Working Families Party, with Chuy Garcia, my support, the support of grassroots organizations, she um, went all in for Jessica. Because she said Ariel is not a progressive, Ariel's conservative, Ariel's, you know, right wing, you know, politician. So she went all in for Jessica. And uh, now Jessica and Congressman Gutierrez are nowhere to be found for Delia's race. And so that, that's the thing with Louis. Louis's always gonna put Louis first. I appreciate the support that he had for the immigrant community. I will never take that away from him. Uh, he did a lot of important work on that front. Um, but I got to say that when he sees his political opportunity, he seizes it. 
And well, uh, it is what it is. And I'll tell you what, it's poor Carlos. Every time I'm always dragging him uh, before a microphone to have a debate. Uh, <laughs> I'm now, I, I want the Raylo debate. Uh, of, that would be fantastic. Uh, Raymond Lopez, Alderman of the 15th Board. And each person has agreed to it, by the way. I just, the, I have dropped the ball on that one, just so you know, Carlos. Raylo says anytime, any place you've said it. But this is a dream match. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, Luis Gutierrez. Man, people oh, man, be he lined up. Me. He would smoke me. He would cry. He would, you know, <laughs> he would pull out all the stops, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> he would be crying up there. I've known you a long time, Congressman Gutierrez. Don't <laughs> deny it. Uh, all right. Thank you very much, uh, Carlos. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah. And uh, even though uh, I say, even though a uh, compromise has been reached and uh, to, just to let Dave Goletz know the meeting, as we know, has not been scheduled, but they are going to be scheduling it because they're not dumb. They realize they got to get this thing passed. So a meeting has to wouldn't be that something they make this deal and they just forget to schedule a meeting. Oh, wait oh a no, no, no. <laughs> uh, so uh, even though this uh, is kind of sort of. Uh, changes what we talked about last Tuesday. I urge everybody to check out the uh, the show anyway because it was a great debate. All right, thanks, Carlos. Appreciate uh, you taking thanks the time. For having me on. Bye, right. man. Hey, Dave. Uh, we're uh, going to bring on the great Dave Glowatz uh, from inside uh, Chicago government. There's the young man, Dave. He was very kind uh, during the, the end of that interview. He put uh, his microphone on mute so we would not hear him, uh, and he put his camera off so we would not see him, although I love looking at you. I don't know why you put the camera off. Uh, so welcome to the show. But I dutifully asked your question, Dave, uh, regarding we talked at length about how a compromise had been reached, and you, when I told you that this morning, you pointed out quickly, well, there's no meeting scheduled. If they don't schedule a meeting. <laughs> they, Before May 19th. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you believe You know what? Guys, if you blow it for that, it's just wow. So he assured me that uh, it will happen. What do you think? Do you think they're going to uh, get the meeting scheduled? Or do you think they're going to blow it? And- well, if they have, what are they, 26 aldermen to agree at the quorum to, yeah. uh, to get the meeting together? Yeah, they have to uh, arrange it with the city clerk 48 hours in advance. So that means I'm doing the math, May 17th? That's the latest they could do it. Yeah. And well, no, they could do it on May 18th, right? Or May 19th, but, but they, May 17th. Yeah. If they, uh, yeah. yeah uh, right. And uh, then I remember, God, this is way in the weeds. We're going to move on to a city council roundup. But I remember there was that issue once where Joe Moore was the chair of a committee. And was there was, uh, I don't think it was housing. I forget what committee was chair of, but were, the deal was have to do with the elected school board. And he contended that, uh, uh, the uh, proponents of an elected school board referendum didn't make the deadline to get it on his agenda for a hearing. And so it couldn't make the ballot uh, and his opponents, the, the people who were proposing the elected school board said he was just uh, ruling against them on a technicality, uh, doing ROMs bidding. Anyway, the point is, I remember it, like the issue came into weekends count. Like business days. What's that? The city council's rules generally speak in business days. Business days. So yeah. like a Saturday. So if you drop it on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, don't count. Correct. Uh, and uh, correct, Senator. Uh, anyway, uh, I tell you what, Dave Glass has freaking memorized the rule book. 
I, that's one thing I've noticed in the last, when I first met this young man, he knew everything about a bicycle, but didn't know a lot about city council rules. Now I think you know more about city council rules than you know about bicycles. Actually, I'm going to throw that out there, Dave. Well, I don't know. I'm learning more all the time out of necessity. So uh, I, I know I, that even yeah. even veteran aldermen will sit with a little booklet in their hands and flip back and forth while the the parliamentary maneuvers are flying at city council meetings. I know, and and uh, yeah, I would be at lost uh, with my dyslexia and the, at the quick those quick moments when you uh, have to uh, offer an opinion. All right, uh, without further ado, Dave Goetz has five, I believe, five clips that he's going to run through. Uh, maybe it's only four, uh, whatever. Take it away, Dave Kloatz. Well, we're going to talk about the most recent full city council meeting that happened on April 27. Ben, it went for a bruising five and a half hours. But something different about this meeting. Normally, near the beginning, after like half an hour of public comment, the council handles resolutions from the mayor. And you've listened to some of these with me. They're often like love fests for people who are retiring from government careers or civic leadership with lots of aldermanic speeches that can go on for several hours before the council gets down to its regular business. At the April meeting, however, Mayor Lori Lightfoot declared that such resolutions would take place after regular council business. Turned out she did this because she had to catch an early afternoon flight to attend the African-American Mayors Association Conference of the East Coast. So after all the committee reports, Mayor, the mayor turned the presiding gavel over to the mayor pro tem, who is Ben? Uh, mayor pro tem, I do know this. I want to say it's Brendan Riley. That's correct, Senator. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's interesting because his current position puts him at odds with the mayor. Oh, this is going to be a fun conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Anyway, before we get there, the first committee report of the regular business was that of the Committee on Finance, which I'll just, we're not going to listen to, but I'll just mention in passing that it moved 19 financing measures of what kind do you think, Ben? Oh, I saw this. Uh, TIF related. Tax and financing measures. Yeah, expenditures. I actually was going to write about this and then other things came and diverted my attention. But uh, yes, it was the use of TIF dollars, property tax dollars, which have already been diverted from the parks and the schools, kicking back. One of this is one of my favorite in the weeds topics, kicking back a little something. They, they Like they take a dime and then they kick back a nickel and the schools are supposed to say, thank you for the money that you kicked back to us that you took from us in the first place so we could be a, build a field house. So to your point, they, they funded projects at 13 public schools yeah. and four parks. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, like a field house or track. or I'm all for it, ladies. Don't get wrong, but, you know. Uh, Yes. Dennis, please, we're going to do yes first. The second committee report at that April meeting was for the Committee on Budget and Government Operations, chaired by Third Ward Alderman Pat Dowell. All of the debate in this section involved the mayor's proposed $12 million program to distribute about 75,000 prepaid transit cards and about 38,000 prepaid gas station cards in, quote, high mobility hardship community areas, unquote. Plus 25,000 transit cards and about 12,000 gas cards citywide via a lottery. For those keeping score, 
This measure is number 02022-949. The transit cards would be worth about 50 bucks. The gas card's $150. We're going to listen to two sets of aldermanic comments. First from those supporting the program and then those opposing. This first bit starts with 28th Ward Alderman Jason Irvin. Let's listen. Moving to something meaningful that residents can uh, utilize and do what they need to get to work and also press upon our, our transit system the need for better operations and facilities because some of our communities won't take CTA only as a last resort. So those that want to uh, have an opportunity to move around and do what they need to do as far as going to work and the like, I think we should support those efforts. Our main goal here is to bring resources back to the community. Alderman Cardenas. You know what I see the difference here today in, in this debate? That you are doing it. That you are initiating something and giving back to the people. Their money. Taxpayers' money is their money. You're giving it back to them in a way that they feel is helping them. That's what they're telling us. That's what they're telling you. We disagree on the merits, disagree on the method. But the bottom line is that we've been doing this a very long time. I've been here 20 years, a lot more than a lot of you guys. And I remember things that we did, they had the mayor's name on everything. I remember the weatherization kits, they were big. These weatherization kits had everything in them. So folks could seal the windows. That kit cost a lot more than this debit card that is being issued. And we did it year after year, millions of dollars back to the people. All of a sudden, this mayor, who happens to be a female African-American mayor, does it, and it's a problem. I don't know. I feel, I feel like somehow, what, what, what's going on here? Seriously. You're doing it is wrong. You're doing it for political reasons. There's folks here running for office. Maybe more will announce tomorrow. I don't know. It is political. Sounds to me political. Maybe more of you are going to announce that you want the, the big office, the big chair. I don't know. But I find it dubious that somehow we have funded hundreds of millions of dollars just last year in housing, job creation, violence prevention, wellness funds. You name it, it's in there. I wrote it down. Are you running for something? <laughs> hey, I'm not running from there. I'm just telling the truth. I'm here. I'm just saying, I'm, that, listen, you want to have a debate about the merits of it, I understand. But, Madam President, you're doing something that people want you to do. They're asking for it. Alderman Modenado. I can speak about how my constituents have responded to this proposed ordinance. My office has been flooded with calls from our constituents with the need for us to help them trying to apply for these cards. So I think that this is a home run for many, many constituents from the 26th Ward. So. If any of you that are against this idea, and if you get a call, I mean, just reject helping your constituents and send them to call the 26th Ward office, and we'll, we will be <laughs> more than glad to help and process their applications. Chairman Dow. We passed the historic budget under your leadership, Mayor Lightfoot, which 
put a lot of additional money into the budget for things like affordable housing, $635 million, mental health, $86 million, $13 million for food, $150 million more for youth and jobs. So we are trying to address every aspect of the need for people in this city. And so I urge my colleagues to vote for the Chicago Moves Ordinance today, and let's put some money into the hands of people who really need it. I don't know if you could tell, but when Alderman Cardenas made that comment that uh, a problem only exists when this mayor, an African-American female, does it, groans erupted all over the room, yeah. and he had to start talking louder yeah. because everyone else was talking to each other and sort of mocking him, and he had to, he had to like, shout over them. you know. And uh, at some point, someone says, are you running for something? And as we know, he's running for what? Uh, he is running for uh, board of uh, tax review, right? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. County position. County position, yeah. So, um, wow, I have a lot to say on this. Uh, have you finished? Or is your yeah, go ahead. Offer? Well, I wrote, I actually wrote about this uh, in passing last week. So if folks want to see the uh, column, it has to do with the Whole Foods leaving uh, Englewood. Uh, if I were <laughs> somehow or other an alderman in the Chicago City Council and I had a vote, Dave knows that I always put this, Dave, how would you vote? How would you vote? In the old days, he would tell me. Nowadays, of course, he's an objective journalist. And he won't tell me. Um, but I would have definitely voted yes. Uh, I know all the objections to it that have nothing to do with Mayor Lightfoot. Well, they do. One of them has to do with Mayor Lightfoot. This is clearly a political move by Mayor Lightfoot to uh, offset uh, Willie Wilson who is running against her and one of the few announced candidates running against her uh, who is giving away gas cards or on it from his own pocketbook. So she was clearly trying to one up Willie Wilson. Uh, I urge Willie to come out with a uh, plan to fund uh, uh, Medicare for all. Let's see if uh, Mayor Lightfoot would then uh, turn to a Medicare for all plan to one up him on that one. We could just start getting things we really need. Uh, the larger point I want to make uh, is that the one time the city of Chicago does something for a poor person or someone who doesn't have big bucks or someone who isn't clouded, and it's relatively peanuts, I might add, the one time it sets off a massive debate. And uh, so, Dave, I was pointing this out in the context of TIF deals uh, that I've watched sail through the Chicago City Council, handouts to rich people, no debate. No discussion of whether it's warranted. No discussion of whether, let's say, like Lincoln Yards is getting too much money at the expense of, say, Englewood or Woodlawn or Austin, et cetera. So, no, just sails right through. And I just thought, you know, isn't it curious that uh, when they try to help someone who's poor or potentially help someone who's poor, we'll see how the program is actually administered, uh, it causes such consternation. So I... Uh, I would have voted with the mayor on this. And I'm sort of, when, I, when you were playing the clips, I found myself sort of nodding along with Cardenas. <laughs> You're absolutely, that that was a cheap shot uh, about, you know, going against the mayor because she's an Afri African-American woman. Uh, we all Some know would that. call it pandering. Who, who called it pandering? Some would call it pandering. Oh, some would call it. Oh, I think I went to high school with some. Some would. Uh, uh, yeah, some, he was in my geometry class. Anyway, um, so I, I just thought uh, that was 
you know, inaccurate. Uh, but, uh, you know, hey, kudos to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. It was a, a shrewd political move. Uh, will it help the environment? Will it undercut uh, efforts to get uh, more people out of their cars? Yeah, but I mean, like I said, it's relative peanuts. And that's a bigger problem anyway. And uh, people, a lot of people are afraid to get on the trains anyway right now. So these are bigger problems that Chicago is facing uh, rather than this one. So, Well, uh, you're channeling. Dennis, please, we're going to do no next. You're channeling some of the arguments that the opponents to this measure made. Let's listen to some of them. This clip starts with 15th Ward Alderman Ray Lopez. Let's listen. And I applaud this council, and I applaud you for trying to address an issue that our neighborhoods are seeing. But this is 100% the wrong way to go. Gift cards, venture cards, do not solve the issues that are facing our residents. To say it comes off as a gimmick would be an understatement. We have hundreds of millions of dollars that we can use to improve the lives of our residents, and this is the route we're going. Last year's budget included tens of millions of dollars in incentives to our residents. Now we're adding 12 million more. That doesn't address the issues, doesn't address the concerns, and absolutely doesn't address the fears our residents have with our city. Alderwoman Harrison. When we're giving $3 million to the food depository and $12 million for gas cards, something is a little off. When we're not funding anti-violence, violence prevention programs, violence interrupters at the same rate that we're doing for gas cards, that's not right. I might get two full tanks of gas and then what? I wish that we would use this money to put resources to help people keep, keep a roof over their head, to add more money to that, to do more with mental health to do more with putting food on the table. Those things that my people are telling me that they needed. Alderman Vasquez. Thank you, Alderwoman Harrison, for your clear point. It is not that people here disagree with the fact that we want to help people. When we had our committee hearings about it, there are a lot of different concerns from many different angles. Some people had concerns about a name on a card. I don't think that's an issue, me personally, some felt it was reactive because Willie Wilson was giving out funds. I understand the concern there. I don't think it's similar to Willie Wilson giving out funds. When Willie Wilson is giving out gas money to folks, it's coming out of his pocket. When the city does it, it comes out of the taxpayer dollar, which means your property taxes will rise because it's more of a deficit, which means rent rises, and so people who have to pay those bills are going to have issues. There were so many things we've had to fight for in these three years to actually fund that the answer was we don't have the funds up until the point there was an influx of federal money to do so. So the fact that every time we've had to fight and lobby for all these different things, we're told there is no money, and then all of a sudden Willie Wilson gives out gas, so 12.5 is what's found in the couch, I think we need to have a fundamental problem with that because it's not a giveaway. No one's getting a gift. The tax dollars that people are putting into a government that are given right back to literally be put up in smoke. When we talk about how much we value the environment, when we still don't have a Department of Environment, when we've had to fight to try to get ash tree inoculation and try to actually have a better environment, we don't have the funds to do that, but we can give out gas cards. Had there been a modest change on the tax dollars being given as a prepaid card that wasn't tied to gas, more easily I'd find my way to a yes. We had our communications out to neighbors in the 40th Ward to ask them what they thought of this initiative, just in case I was wrong in my gut. The responses we received were unanimous. It wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't majority. It was unanimous. Everyone was like, no, we see what this is, and they had problems with it. 
Alderman Riley. My issue is the gas giveaway. I don't think as a matter of public policy, the city council should be subsidizing fossil fuel. We just celebrated Earth Week, and Mayor, you have a bold agenda to help us get emissions under control. I think symbolically, it's a bad move for the city to be giving away free gas, knowing it's just going to burn up into the ether and be gone. If we're bound and determined to spend $12.5 million while we're just months away from our budget meetings, I would argue plow it all into CTA and target it towards safety. My colleague from the 28th Ward mentioned that this gas tax program sounds good to his constituents because they don't want to use the CTA. That's the problem. We need the CTA to be successful, and in order for it to do so, it has to be safe. Solomon Spizzato. You know I'm against this. Everybody knows I'm against this. And this is by no way, no means, anything personal against you. We said we want something more sustainable. This is going to poof, poof, be gone in no time, okay? And then people that think, oh, my community wants this, my community wants this. I know we hear equity a lot in this council. My calculations are equity would be 2% of these cards or this help, 2% to every ward. What happens if your ward gets one-tenth of 1% one and another ward gets 5%? How are you going to feel about that? We recently divested from fossil fuel companies. Now we want to encourage people to get gas. We need to strengthen our CTA. We need public safety. There's a lot of things this money could go better towards. Just a couple things, Ben. There were more comments by Alderman than what we just heard. Listeners can hear those in the extended version of this interview found at the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com. Go to the Chicago menu and choose City Council. Secondly, we just heard Alderman Spizzato talk about equitable, equitable distribution. And I mentioned at the outset that to sell this to council members, the administration decided to wait um, to create a weight of more distribution in this uh, these areas that they are calling quote high mobility hardship community areas. So these are generally impoverished areas where people perhaps don't own cars. I'm not sure how they figured this out, but when they do the lottery for this, they're going to emphasize applications that for those communities are going to put more of those transit and gas cards towards those communities. So Spazato is saying, well, that's not equitable. I would want to be divided evenly between all 50 wards. So that's what he was talking about in terms of equitable distribution. All right. And uh, 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 very forceful arguments being made. Uh, Andre Vasquez, interesting, unanimous from his ward. That uh, makes me wonder Wow, unanimous. He Everybody did tell us what the sample size was. Though. I was just going to say, was it like, you know, three people or something? <laughs> three uh, but uh, listen, I'll repeat essentially what I already said, and that is where were these voices when the city passed the Lincoln Yards TIF plan? And that's, that's my essential point. This is relative peanuts, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in an enormous budget. And 1.3 billion. Dave Kloatz knows it inside. I probably knows it better than anyone named not, not named Sterling Bay. Uh, what went down with Lincoln Yards? Sterling Bay being the developer who got the money. Uh, and uh, the same arguments that Nick Spazzato is making are the central arguments that I've been making for years regarding the inequity of our single largest economic development program. That it's skewed in favor of certain neighborhoods. And I've never heard anybody raise that as an objection. 
So is it a legitimate objection to make uh, in the case of uh, gas cards and uh, venture cards? Yes. But if you don't make that argument with regards to all the other inequities that the city routinely passes, then you have no credibility in my humble opinion. And Nick, I love you dearly, but you voted for that Lincoln Yards TIF deal and you voted for the 78. And I'm, I just think there's no escaping that fact. And um, so that's my basic point, uh, Dave. When I hear Alderman use the arguments that I've been using for my entire career as a journalist here in Chicago, or at least for the last 20 years or so, against something... <laughs> So minuscule as this program, I feel as though it's it's a characterization, and uh, it's like it kind of undercuts the argument. So I would have voted for it. Yeah, credibility. I would again. I would have voted for it uh, merely because it's assistance during very difficult times for people. If you go to the gas pump, and let's be real, folks, it's very high right now. So it's a little handout, uh, and I hope that the program works to the benefit of people who really need it. We'll see. You know, you know, some enterprising investigative reporter, Dave, will do the, the research on this, and in a year or so, we'll probably get a story in the Sun-Times or the Tribune or Better Government Association or what have you, Block Club, uh, pointing out that maybe it didn't work as promised. Uh, so that's where I stand on this matter. And isn't it a historical fact that when city in the past has offered property tax rebates, that a lot of the money, they, they, it requires people to opt in, right? If you could make an application for some money back for your property taxes, and it's been in the hundreds of dollars, right? Never more than a thousand, I think. That a lot of the money that the city offers is left on the table. Yeah, that people don't apply. This, this, I think, might be a lower barrier to entry. It sounds like there's, according to the alderman, there's lots of clamoring for this stuff. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, uh, it's one thing. Yes, you're absolutely correct. You have to give personal information. It's People are reluctant to give personal information uh, to the city or the county. Uh, and uh, so... That's a barrier to entry right there. Yeah, it's a barrier of entry right there. Uh, I actually looked at the application form uh, a couple of weeks ago, so I can't remember precisely, but it does not require an IRS uh, statement. You know what I mean? So it's is not. Is there that. anything on there that you would feel reluctant think, to share? I, 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 yeah, my memory is that they ask you what general uh, income range you're in, what bracket. Because there in. is an income cap on this. Yes. So, I mean, so that's my memory of it. And um, I mean, it's, it's, you're not being sworn under oath. Uh, Do you have to prove? I don't think you have to prove it. You just have to state it. Yeah, you state it. And um, so, you know, I mean, it's sort of like when you, the, the county, I don't know if you've lived in your building long enough. If you lived in a building a long time, periodically you will get notices from the Cook County's assessor t- telling you that you will pl- you're eligible for a uh, homeowner's exemption. Yes. Well, homeowner's exemption for a long time, homeowners. Okay, so in other words, it's a... There's two it's a exceptions. Great, yeah, it's a, a even more generous uh, a benefit and that lowers your taxes. But this one stipulates, you have to stipulate a certain income. And again, I don't, you don't have to send in uh, IRS statements, but I mean, I don't know. Who, I, I couldn't lie on a form. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, some people yeah. might 
uh, back off from it. We'll see. I bet you, now that you mentioned it, if there's money left on the table or gets kicked into something else, <laughs> you know. I, I remember, by the way, um, uh, to give credit where credit is due, Raylo, uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez, when he was a rookie alderman, and Mayor Rahm, who had a lot more control over the city council than Mayor Lori Lightfoot did, uh, had this program where they were going to uh, pay for trees. I think it was trees. Uh, and uh, Raylo said that he could not in good conscience uh, go along with this because there were people getting shot in his neighborhood because of crime. And why are we spending money on trees when we should be concerned about crime? So I have to give Raylo credit in this particular moment. He took a strong stand against a very powerful mayor. Again, a mayor far more powerful uh, than Lori Lightfoot, far more control uh, over the city council. So at least he's consistent. So shout out to Raylo. Who he has declared he's going to run against in the coming election. That is correct. Well, at the end of this, Dennis, please, we're going to do vote next. The end of this was the time to come to vote on the mayor's measure for this transit benefit. And I'll just lay the groundwork for this next bit to say that earlier during the finance committee committee meeting uh, session report, the council would normally take an initial vote that it would then uh, call back upon for subsequent votes. So invoking that first vote. And because now the council is using electronic voting, they did that, but the electronic vote mechanism didn't work for that vote. So the city clerk, Anna Valencia, and her staff ran around in the background and apparently got it working again. So when it came time to do the vote, uh, it would have have been it would have uh, invoked the earlier vote or gone to an electronic vote, but it didn't play out quite normally. And let's um, who are we going to hear first? I don't know. <laughs> let's listen. The electronic has been fixed, so we can vote electronically. Alderman Lopez. I renew my request for a voice roll call vote, please. I believe, sir, the clerk has just indicated that the electronic voting has been fixed. I still renew my request. Thank you. I, and, and I heard your request and the discretion of the chair is that we will try electronic voting. If it doesn't work, then we'll go back to oral voting for the remainder of... I heard you, sir. And I heard your request. Then I appeal the decision of the chair because it's oh, the members who choose how to do the We're going to do electronic voting, sir. There's an appeal of the decision of the chair to the body, member. All those President. in favor, the chair has ruled that we will try electronic voting because the clerk has indicated that the voting has been fixed. Alderman Lopez protest and would like to appeal the ruling of the chair. So let's do an electronic vote on Alderman Lopez's appeal of the chair. If it doesn't work, we will go to oral. So the question is, shall the ruling of the chair be sustained that we will try electronic voting and failing that, we will go to oral voting? The voting is open. The voting so the first, is open. The first question that you're voting for is, shall the ruling of the chair be sustained to do electronic voting rather than oral voting? That's the first. And then we will get to the actual substance of the meeting. Please hit cast vote. A lot of this is user end. It's okay. We are new to this. It's only the third month. Thank you for your grace and your understanding and your mercy and your kindness. The voting is open. The voting is open. The voting is open. If you have an issue, please raise your hand. Alderman Cardenas right here. Okay. The voting is now closed. The ruling of the chair is sustained 33 to 16. Yay, it worked. <laughs>
So we will take an electronic vote. The chair recognizes Alderman Vasquez. 34 or 26? 26. Technically 25, since I get to cast the, the tie, but it's 26. Okay, thank you. Normal rules. So that last bit is Alderman Vasquez was asking if, in this particular uh, instance, do the rules require a two-thirds vote, which would be 34, as opposed to a simple majority? And we heard the mayor saying, no, it's 26. So otherwise, that would not have passed. And then, uh, then they took... Uh, a vote, which thanks to the mayor's uh, 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 winning that the earlier vote, the vote on her transit measure went to an electronic vote, and it passed 26 to 23. Mm-hmm. So it was razor thin. That's all I have to say about that. Wow. Yes, it was razor thin, and I had took delight in pointing that out, a very close vote. Again, a close vote giving relative peanuts to poor people or intended to help poor people or working people, whatever you want to call them, barely passes. And, and I say this, a lot of the folks who voted no are uh, just as to the left of, as I am. Uh, and they raised a lot of legitimate concerns, but at some point, Dave, I just, it's just so troubling uh, when I see just the amount of time and energy spent uh arguing a measure that would help relatively poor people and such a lack of concern when far greater packages are distributed to wealthy people. And I just think it shows out of whack priorities uh, in the city of of Chicago. Uh, That said, that was a pretty entertaining clip that you played. Uh, <laughs> the vote before the vote, uh, and <laughs> an electronic vote to fight to, to decide whether to do an oral vote. Yes, uh, and uh, and at least Raylo, give him credit for this. He did not argue for his uh, vote on whether it be uh, electronic vote be by a voice by hand vote, so our uh, voice vote. So. Uh, the city council stumbles into the 21st century. Uh, every now and then there's a hiccup. But there's even hiccups on the Ben Jarofsky show sometimes when it comes to technology. So, but who is, am it, I is it as entertaining? That's the question. Yes, it's very entertaining. Well, uh, Dennis, please, we're going to do camera next. At the end of the April 27 meeting, Ben, there was a section, as there is in every council meeting, for miscellaneous business. And in this one, we'll uh, talk about the fact that for almost a year, Ninth Ward Alderman Anthony Beale has been trying to push a measure that would increase the speed at which when Chicagoans go through traffic speed cameras, they would get ticketed. It's currently the cameras trip it if you're going six miles over, six miles per hour over the limit. And Beale wants it increased to 10, where it was before the Life Administration reduced it not that long ago. So Beale has been trying to get this measure uh, to be considered by the city council for quite a while. And here it is again. And this this clip does start with Alderman Beale. Let's listen. In accordance with our rules, I motioned up a Rule 41 with the clerk's office over 48 hours ago to be heard today. It is a ordinance asking for the repeal of the speed light camera ordinance to put it back to its original ordinance prior to the change that was made. It was in finance, and I correctly submitted that to the clerk's office for submittal to be heard today for a vote. The chair recognizes Alderman Harris. The notice of a motion to discharge was not filed timely. 
Rule 41 requires that the notice be provided no later than the fifth business day preceding the day of the city council meeting and that the notice was filed on Monday, April 25th, which is only two business days ago. Accordingly, I move to lay on the table Alderman Bill's motion to discharge. Uh, Mr. Chairman. Alderman Bill. Mr. Chairman, according to our rules of order that we're governed by, it clearly says that a Rule 41 should be motioned up 48 hours prior to the meeting. It is clearly stated, and once again, this is an attempt to change the rules to fit the narrative. I'm looking at page 29 of the City Council rules under Rule 41. It says here, in order to afford a committee chairman an opportunity to convene a hearing on a pending matter and provide the alderman sufficient time to review such matter, no motion to discharge shall be called for a vote unless a written notice identifying the matter is delivered to and time stamped by the city clerk and copies delivered to all aldermen no later than by the close of business on the fifth business day prior to the city council meeting. I agree with that terminology. However, it's been in committee for over eight months. Therefore, there was ample time for the chairman to convene a meeting. And so, therefore, that ruling is out of order because there was plenty of time to afford a hearing on that particular matter. Well, Alderman Beal, we have a pending motion that is not debatable. We have a motion to lay on the table by Alderman Harris. I motion to appeal the ruling of the chair for a roll call vote. I'm not making a ruling. Uh, we actually have a motion live. You cannot not lay debatable. a motion on the floor on a Rule 41. You cannot lay it on, on the table. That is out of order. Chairman Irvin. The motion made by Alderman Beal clearly is out of order. I don't think there needs to be a ruling of anything. It is out of order. It's not in compliance with the rules. If it is out of order, if he wants to appeal the ruling of that, that's fine, and we dispose of the matter that way. And actually, I'm not making a ruling. Uh, we're entertaining a motion by uh, Chairman Harris, which is not debatable. So I'm going to ask the clerk to call the roll. And to be clear, a yes vote is in favor of Alderman Harris's motion to lay on the table. A no vote means that you wish to consider Alderman Beale's motion to discharge the committee. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. Hold on, hold on. That's the, that is my point. I, I think that the motion that Chairman Harris made is not necessary because you, you all have said that it's out of order. If it's out of order, he can appeal that ruling, but beyond that, that's it. There is no motion to speak to. Your motion, he said you're out of order. You want to appeal the chair, you can appeal the chair. And that's all that needs to be done here. Alderman Lopez. As a point of information, wasn't this matter previously deferred back to the committee? I believe so, it was. So because it was previously deferred back to the committee, it's a 48-hour notice for the item to be brought back up under the Rule 41, which is on page 30 of our book. This isn't an unannounced committee report. This was a previously deferred committee report. So Alderman Lopez and Alderman Irvin, there were two ways I could have approached this. I could have made my own ruling, but instead of doing that, I actually recognized Chairman Harris to make her motion. So it's one or the other, but I actually recognized her. She did make a motion to lay on the table, which is not debatable, and that's why we're going to have a roll call vote. I'd again remind my colleagues that a yes vote is in favor of Alderman Harris's motion to lay on the table, and a no vote means you wish to consider Alderman Beale's motion to discharge committee. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. The voting is open. The voting is open. There are 30 ayes and 17 nays. Alderman Beale's motion is tabled. So they got him again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to say, what was, by the way, I, I forgot. The, uh, they want to, he wants to uh, lower the 
threshold for being ticketed for speed limits violation. Yeah, he wants to make it harder to get a ticket. Right. And by so, increasing the amount by which you would have to be speeding. Yes. To get, and, to get from six and, miles an hour to 10 miles an hour. Okay. Wow. Which is the original yeah. threshold. Uh, so in other words, uh, six miles per hour over the speed limit. Is that what you're, okay, so the speed limit is 20, so you'd be going 26 as opposed to 30, correct? All right. Yeah. So this is utter insanity, folks. I would lose my mind. Uh, this is like out of Kafka, the way they're messing with uh, Anthony Beal. And by the way, no wonder you knew the rule about business days. We began this show with me uh, talking about the, how many days would it take to get a notice out, how many would it require, uh, and then I pointed out that in the past I've seen – uh, proposals knocked out because it was that it wasn't uh, they included weekend days and, and you knew the rule no wonder he knew the rule uh well this is ludicrous just have the and, vote and, and it was uh clearly set up right because uh that someone had to have been watching for beal filing that with the city clerk and then clear it looks to me like it was clearly set up like for harris to stand up and move to lay it on the table. And uh, they're just kind of waiting. They're, they're just like pouncing on him, whatever, because yeah. he, he was doing this also with his other ordinance to create a law department for the city council. So I'll say this. Um, the, oh, God, I've done so many stories like this, uh, Dave. I know every argument that will be made. So I will now make the argument of the Joe Moores of the world or uh, the Michelle Harris's of the world. Ben, if he doesn't understand the rules well enough to know that you need five days, it's clearly stated. How can we take serious any proposal he makes? Okay. That's the rule they make. Like every dot has to be. And when, by the way, when they make a mistake, oh, my God. When uh, Anthony Beals of the world makes a mistake, it's like their mistake is carved in stone and you can't change it. But when they make a mistake, oh, it's pencil. Let's erase it. So this is what I'm saying. This gets back to the uh, double standards, hypocrisy, the meaninglessness of it all. We were talking about that in regards to the great consternation over the gas cards and then letting TIF deals for far much more fly out the window without an objection. And this is just you're just messing with the guy. And you know Why what? Not? And, and I, I think they're doing it for several reasons. Number one, they uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot cannot stand Anthony Beal. So they're just like they're playing out that pettiness. Uh, and two, they don't want to take this vote because I got to believe that if you put it to the people of the city of Chicago, this gets back to gas card stuff. If you put it to the people of the city of Chicago, I think most of them would be with Anthony Beal. That most of them don't think uh, going it's going thirty miles an hour at night when there's no school over past a school uh, is that more dangerous than going twenty six miles an hour, and uh, so they think that it's just a way of giving you tickets. So yeah, it does give the older alderman cover for not it's having. Cover, yeah. But so I've said this, I, I don't disagree with you, and I'll say what I've said before too. But if I was Beal. And I know that's what I'm up against. I would not screw around. I yeah. would like make sure it's like seven business days in advance. You know. Well, like, then uh, there's always the possibility, and I don't know Anthony Beal, but I'll throw this out. You know, uh, what's that line from Shakespeare? Uh, uh, the the woman doth protest too much. Uh -huh. So you know that that line. In other words, he's now he looks like a victim. 
So maybe he knew. I don't know. Who knows? All I know, you're right. I mean, if you're going up against uh, the mayor and the mayor's committee chairs and they control everything, you better make sure your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. So you're, you're, you're questioning whether he really wants it or he just wants the drama. I'm exactly well put that the drama is as effective as a vote. And then it builds more attention to the vote because his argument does not hold water. His argument that it's been sitting there for eight months does not hold water. Yeah, there's regard- no rule about that. What's that? There's no rule about that. Yeah, there's no, it just doesn't matter. There's yeah. a specific rule that says five business days. Yeah, it could be sitting there for eight years. For yeah. All that. Yeah. So the eight months is irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, but so, but I would have, man, just, let's have a vote and it will, you know, but I stand by this. They don't want to have that vote because. I think it would be a very popular. Um, I think that would be a very popular change with a lot of people in the city. I'm not saying I would support. Now this is a tough one. Would I vote for it? You know, the bicyclist in me goes, "No, I want cars going 20. I don't want them going uh, uh, 30." You know, we, we should ask Ken Davis what he thinks. <laughs> you know, no, I'll ask Richard Irvin. Governor <laughs> to want to be who's a maestro at ducking and dodging and avoiding and evading as we watched at the press conference yesterday. That'll be discussed later, folks. Don't worry. We're sticking to city news. We'll get into that. I, I was just show, I was just invoking Ken Davis because I think he was he's against red light cameras, isn't he? Uh, I, correctly. I, I can't remember. I, I know that it, we've he's had conversations on his uh his show about it, but I just can't remember his particular uh, well, Ken, if I've misrepresented you, I'm sorry, and I'm sure he'll let me know if that's true. Well, shall we move on? Yes, sir. We've got one more piece that is not from the April 27 City Council meeting. It is about a meeting that happened on uh, a date very uh, short time ago. I'll lay the groundwork for this. Ben, is, uh, Dennis, please, will do Chip next. A little so we'll go back in time a little bit. On March 22, Mayor Lightfoot announced that her administration had narrowed down the five applications for Chicago casinos to just three. Subsequently, at the March City Council meeting, the mayor pushed through the formation of a special City Council Casino Committee, populated by chairs and vice chairs of other regular council committees, plus the mayor pro tem, we just heard from. That committee held a hearing on the applicant finalists on April 25. Then on May, May, May 5, the mayor announced she had chosen one applicant, known as Bally's, that she wanted the casino committee to approve. Bally's has proposed to build a casino at the Tribune printing plant at Chicago and Halstead on the river in the 27th ward whose alderman, Walter Burnett, approves of such sighting. The mayor also announced that while it builds the permanent casino, Bollies would build a temporary casino at Medina Temple, which is at 600 North Wabash, which is located in which ward, Ben? Uh, 42nd Ward, Brendan Riley. And who has said that he doesn't want a casino at the Tribune plant or in the area. Well, on May 9, the city council's casino committee met again, this time to consider just the Bollies proposal. We'll hear now from an excerpt from that meeting. This is an exchange between Riley and Samir Mayakar, who is the deputy mayor for economic and neighborhood development. Let's listen. If it was so important to the city to allow the bidders to select their own permanent site, why is it the city picked the temporary sites for the bidders? 
Since the evaluation report, all three of the, the finalists submitted their uh, options for a temporary site. And then in the March 22nd evaluation report, um, there were some sites identified uh, by the city. The time to revenue uh, early on for budgetary relief is also a very important variable here, which is why getting the temporary facility up and running is, uh, is important. Additionally, there are a number of stakeholders who have very consistently raised the need for economic recovery. As a part of engagement with the bidding teams, uh, there was a dialogue about potential hotels and other sites in the greater downtown area that could be used. And that was an ongoing dialogue uh, that we had uh, with all the bidding teams about potential locations suitable um, for gaming, which would include, you know, you have to have the right type of load bearing floors, electricity, et cetera. So through that dialogue with the bidding teams, a few sites were identified. And as you saw in the evaluation report, the Medina Temple and the Sheraton uh, were identified and all of the three finalists expressed openness to partnering with the city on a potential site in addition to the original sites they had proposed. What process was used to select the potential temporary casino sites? A key part of the evaluation for both permanent and temporary was um, execution, in addition to a, a number of other variables. But certainly, in order to uh, have a temporary site be activated in 2023, a number of considerations needed to be evaluated. Certainly, being able to have access and control of the site itself and you know, the ability of that site to require a minimal level of build-out um, so that the execution plan for a 23 opening, you know, that was a very important variable. Um, in addition to what we heard, certainly in uh, some of the engagement forums as well, um, in, in addition to the discussions by all the city departments as to the feasibility of a 2023 site that would require kind of minimal enhanced uh, infrastructure. How did you go about soliciting the owners of these locations? Did they reach out to you or did you reach out to them? There was a process by which both the bidders were encouraged to reach out to downtown sites. And so some of this was done by the bidders. Additionally, the city um, requested uh, through a number of chambers and other organizations who would want to raise their hand uh, for these types of facilities. So many of the hotels were uh, kind of polled on this and a few uh, raised their hands. And then the bidding teams did an evaluation as to whether or not the floor plates could handle uh, gaming machines. Was a formal RFP issued to property owners to participate? The casino RFP was done. You know, we had respondents to the casino RFP. Those sites were submitted by the bidders, and they identified a site that could be mutually agreeable. Given how much premium the administration claims to be placing on local feedback, when you announced the potential temporary locations for the Bally's bid, and you received a strong negative reaction to that, not just from neighbors, but also from the local alderman, who is me, back in, in March, it seemed that this went away. And as I understand it, the chairman of Bally's, by his own admission, has, has said this is not his preferred site either. So how is it that the local aldermen, the local neighborhood, the surrounding neighborhoods, and the casino operator don't want a location? How is it that that's the temporary location? I would say that you heard from Bally's just now about their enthusiasm about this iconic building. I would point out that it is also currently vacant. And as a part of this process, some of the other sites had tenants or the hotels are seeing an uptick in activity. So, uh, you know, you have to have both sides to agree to a marriage. Um, and in many of these other sites, there was an agreement based on alternatives. The other thing I would mention is we have had a number of points of outreach you heard from the Illinois Restaurant Association. And we've heard from a number of other River North stakeholders and businesses who uh, have been really clamoring 
for anything uh, to support additional foot traffic and commerce in their area. Um, and so I, I appreciate kind of what, what you mentioned about uh, some of the feedback in the, in the community engagement sessions. We've also had engagement sessions where there are a number of positive voices uh, who can see the potential security and commerce benefits from this temporary site. So what we have here, it looks to be, Ben, is the administration's desire to get money income flowing in as ASAP, thus the temporary site, and then uh, the pushback from a powerful alderman who, in most cases, I think people would characterize as an ally of the mayor's. So it's an interesting, uh, we, we used the word drama earlier. Yes, uh, boy, I could go on and on, and uh, this could be a whole column in and of itself. Um, all right, uh, so I'm just j- jotting down notes to this. So essentially, Brendan Riley uh, in the 42nd Ward and Brian Hopkins, the alderman of the 2nd Ward, uh, are representing the objections to their constituents who do not want uh, this casino built in their backyards and this is a classic what they uh, call a NIMBY article not in my backyard article in which they don't have like a principled objection to a casino itself all right they just don't want it at this location so close to where they live Uh, generally speaking NIMBY uh, arguments do not carry the day in the city of Chicago Uh, they uh, are not persuasive on a citywide level Uh, The reality is if you don't live in the 42nd Ward and you don't live uh, in the 2nd Ward and you're not in the shadow of this casino and that traffic that goes in and out of that casino is not upsetting you, you don't care. You got enough on your plate to worry about. So the local aldermen, in this case, uh, Brendan Riley and uh, Brian Hopkins, feel compelled to stand up uh, for their constituents uh, because they don't want to look like they're working against their constituents. But it doesn't have any um, legs citywide. I can't recall a major project being defeated, uh, a major project that was backed by the mayor, uh, that was backed by corporate Chicago, uh, and uh, Civic Chicago. I can't recall, Dave, a major project uh, being defeated because of NIMBY arg- arguments. Uh, they may be modified. You got what I'm saying? They may uh, adjust the scale a little bit or the layout, but I can't recall them being defeated. So um, it, it, Brendan Riley and Brian Hopkins are playing to their constituents, and I don't believe they're going to round up enough no votes. If they want to make a compelling citywide argument against the casino, they should raise issues that would be of concern to people who live citywide, which would probably mean raising issue to what I talked about in today's column, which, which is the public expense of the casino. They're not doing that. And my guess is they're not doing that because that's public expense. It's going to go in their ward. I've never heard of an alderman. Uh, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Dave, argue against spending more money in the ward for fixing streets or traffic lights, et cetera. Uh, so it's, it reminds me a lot of the Lincoln yards uh, arguments that locals raise, like, you know, would the tower block the light uh, Would the entertainment facility uh, undercut the hideout or in other, in other nightclubs, et cetera, and so forth. But I didn't recall anybody uh, talking about, the cost to taxpayers. Uh, And this is especially frustrating to me because I'm always trying to get people to realize that a TIF funded project raises their property taxes. And so we, we should really uh, 
take the deep dive to see uh, if we want to spend this, our property tax dollars uh, on projects like fixing streets at Halstead and Chicago. And, you know, Dave, when I say that, I get feedback, uh, blowback from left and the right. Like the left will go, yeah, but if we're ever elected mayor, we want to use this. We don't want people concentrating, Ben, uh, on the tax hike because we want to be able to spend this money. People to the left, we, you know, you have a few drinks, they, they open up. And so it's like, shut up, Ben. Don't raise that argument. Well, I'm like, I pay taxes in the city. You know, <laughs> did you want to see my property tax bill? So we, had a, we, had a conversa- we had a conversation earlier before we went on today about uh, whether tax increment financing will end up playing a role in this project, either at the Medina Temple or at the, the Tribune plant, or there'll be some other sort of backdoor well, for uh, the record, my, Medina Temple has already been the recipient of tax increment finance. I wrote about that. You got to go back to the the the, the O's. I wrote about it. So, uh, and the area around Chicago and Halstead is crawling with tips. And a shout out to John McDermott Jr., uh, who did the good deed of tracking down all the tips for me. Thank you, John. Uh, and uh, so, I'm pretty certain that before all is said and done, uh, there'll be a subsidy. There will be a subsidy and they'll cover it up by saying, oh, it's not a subsidy to the developer. It's a subsidy for infrastructure. Like, again, is this the number one infrastructure need we have in the city of Chicago? The, the intersection of Chicago and Halstead? You have know, you seen the potholes on Halstead Street? My God. <laughs> How about the potholes on Walcott right around the corner from where I live? <laughs> I blew on my tire. What oh, trees have Lord. you planted? <laughs> uh, all right. So which do you think is more likely of these three scenarios? They cut a deal with Brandon Riley and get his support, they being the administration. They don't cut a deal with, they don't cut a public deal with Riley. They cut a private deal with Riley and he continues to claim opposition. <laughs> You're a cynical man. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Or that uh, they don't cut a deal with Riley and they go ahead to the council vote with his opposition. Well, public two and three is are effectively the same thing. Cause, yeah, you wouldn't know, right? Yeah, you wouldn't know. So uh, I'm just going to rule out number two just because I don't know. Uh, I believe that uh, they'll bring it to the council floor uh, with Brendan Riley's uh, objections and the council will uh, vote for it nonetheless. And we will, I hope, hear the last of the, one of the most manufactured, made up, ridiculous, absurd, never established by reality uh, arguments uh, that so many people in Chicago champion that there's such a thing as automated prerogative. Uh, because once again, this will illustrate that when the mayor wants something, it doesn't matter what the local alderman wants. And it's just gamesmanship from that point on. So if I had to put money in Vegas, and it is a casino, uh, I would put my money on Brendan Riley being opposed to this uh, until the end and losing on a, a vote by the city council. And what would you predict, young Dave Goetz? I don't know. Uh, I I think it's hard to say because Riley seems pretty adamant and he, he, I don't know, his track record is pretty good. He often gets, you know, if he doesn't want something, then he doesn't, he doesn't bend. And when he wants something, he usually gets it. So this is a, this is very interesting. They're both pretty, uh, it's the rock meeting the immovable object here, I think. Well, I'm going to name three moments. Uh, where Brendan Riley was against the mayor on uh, a deal for his ward. Uh, two of them have had votes, and this is the third. 
Uh, so there was the subsidy, the TIF subsidy for a presence, which uh, was a health uh, outfit that was uh, against abortion rights. And so Terry Cosgrove and the rest of the uh, reproductive rights community in the city of Chicago uh, was urging Mayor Rahm and Ed Burke uh, to pull that subsidy. For a hospital. Uh, yeah. For, uh, say that again. For a hospital. Yeah. And, and it was in uh, uh, Riley's ward. He was against it. He lost on the vote on the city council. So, and then of course the, the more famous one, which nobody remembers unless you're ancient, like I am is the big fight in the O's over uh, putting the uh, children's museum at grand park. And that's where Brendan Riley made his name. He stood against mayor Daly. Daly. Yeah. And that takes credit. Did, standing up against Lori Lightfoot. is not like Richard M. Daly back in the O's. He was the king of Chicago. But Riley uh, won that one. Yeah. He did whatever he wanted. And this was a, I always cite this when people come forth, uh, to tell me, oh, Ben, automated prerogative. Uh, yeah, we'll tell Brendan Riley and the folks in uh, downtown about automated prerogative. Uh, Brendan Riley put up a good fight, but in the end, he got clobbered. The, <laughs> the council voted with Daly uh, f- uh, and uh, put, to put the Children's Museum in there. And then it, the whole deal fell apart, as I recall. So uh, it didn't really matter. But um, so right now, he's 0 for 2 in uh, matters where he's up against. The mayor is that I uh, quibbling. He lost that vote, but he won eventually because the, the Children's Museum did not go in Grand Park. That is correct, Senator. I just said that. Okay. Uh, and you are quibbling because uh, he did lose the vote. Okay. I've uh, exercised my journalistic prerogative <laughs> to quibble. That's fine. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they call him the quibbler. Um, so, anyway. Another great job by Dave Glowatz. Uh, unbelievable. You are so doing. I just told, uh, I tell all the aldermen, you got to listen to Glowatz's report. I just told Carlos that. I've told Raylo that. Uh, and uh, Well, my mom will continue sending the checks. <laughs> yes, please. I'd like to tell listeners that uh, there's more to this wrap-up that is in the extended version of this episode they could find at the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com. You could also follow Inside Chicago Government at facebook.com slash insightgov. That's G-O-V. And on Twitter at C-H-I-G-O-V-T. And I want to thank Dennis for all the tech support. And thank you, Ben, for, as always, helping me follow my obsession. Yes, and my obsession, too. An obsession we share, along with bike riding, uh, ladies and gentlemen. All right, uh, Dave Glowatz, Inside Chicago Government. Thank you very much. I also want to thank the man, myth, the legend, the aforementioned man, the myth, and legend, the pride of joy of all in Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And it's Brendan Riley, Brian Hopkins, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot will tell you back home in Alton. They call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Mm-hmm.